All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada, Mahom, Shukraya, Krishna, Sadhguru. Shri Mate Bhakti Vinata Swami Niti Namane Namaste Saraswati Deve Gorvani Vachana Namaste Sasamila Pasajadis Tanya. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Uta Parakamam Shri Guru Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Raganatam Vitam Sam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadhudutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sagana Ravitam Shri Vishakam Vitamscha. Jai Jai Shri Chaitanya Jai Anichananda So today is May 26, 2013, Bhaktivedanta Manor, London, England, and we're reading from Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, Adi Lila, Chapter 7, Lord Chaitanya, Five Features, Text 92. This is Mahaprabhu's talking to the Maya bodies, and he's explaining the instructions given to him by his spiritual master. Nachagao bhakta sangye kara sankirtana. Krishnanam, Krishnanam upadeshi tara sarvajana.
Ladies. Nacho Bao Bhakta Sangha Kara Sankirtana. Nacho Bao Bhakta Sangha Kara Sankirtana. Krishna Nama Upadeshi Kara Sarvajana. Krishna Nama Upadeshi Kara Sarvajana. My dear child, continue dancing, chanting, and performing Sankirtana in association with devotees. Furthermore, go out and preach the value of chanting Krishna Nama. For by this process, you will be able to deliver all fallen souls. What were the instructions of Mahaprabhu's guru? Dance, chant, 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 assembly of devotees, and and go out and distribute. Do you remember that? What was the first one? No, first one. Dance. Next. Chant. Chant. With where? Bhakta Sangha. With the devotees and Sankirtan. From congregational chanting. Krishna Nama Upadeshi. Upadeshi is instruct. Instruct everyone. And Sarva. Jana, Sarva means? Everyone. everyone. Jana is? People. Okay. Now it's really nice, this, I mean, all the Prabhupada's purports are wonderful, but it's just really nice that in this purport, Srila Prabhupada is going to talk about somebody who we were just meditating on two days ago. That was a nice continuation. Who do you think that's going to be? Well, exactly. Pralana. Yes. Purport. It is another ambition of the spiritual master to see his disciples not only chant dance and follow the regulative principles, but also preach the Sankirtan movement to others in order to deliver them. For the Krishna consciousness movement is based on the principle that one should become as perfect in, as possible in devotional service oneself. I like that, as perfect as possible. And also preach the cult for others' benefit. There are two classes of unalloyed devotees, namely Gostianandis and Bhajananandis. Bhajananandis refer to one who is satisfied to cultivate devotional service for himself. And Gostianandis is one who is not satisfied simply to become perfect himself, but wants to see others also take advantage of the holy name of the Lord and advance in spiritual life. The outstanding example is. Yeah, you listen to me. 
The outstanding example is Prahlad Maharaj. Very nice. They're sleeping. When he was offered a benediction by Lord Nisingadev, Prahlad Maharaj said, Naivo dvije para duratyaya vaitaranyas twadvirya gayana mahamrita magna chita soche tato vimukta chetisa indriyarta mayastukaya baram udvahato vimudan. My dear Lord, I have no problems. Just imagine, Krishna comes to you, what would you like? And you say, I have no problems. <laughs> Yeah, okay. My dear Lord, I have no problems. Actually, most of us, we have a list, huh? Like, you, I don't know what it's like in this country, but in America, if you go shopping around Christmas time, you see in some shops there's uh, some statue of Santa Claus, and in his hands there's this long, 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 long list. Hmm? My dear Lord, I have no problems. Actually, in this most conditioned souls, we have our top problems, and as soon as those get solved, then something else moves to the top of the list. Have you ever noticed that? You're thinking, if I could just solve these problems, and I'd be happy. And sometimes you solve those problems, and then there's other problems. It's quite interesting. But Palamara said, I have no problems. Did Palamara have no problems? <laughs> My goodness. He really had problems. I mean, anybody here have someone trying to kill you? Anybody here? I mean, actually, not like you're just hallucinating. But actually, putting you under the feet of mad elephants, throwing you in the middle of a fire, giving you poison, anybody? If that was happening to you, would you say you had no problems? You said, I have no problems. I want no benediction from you, because I am quite satisfied to chant your holy name. This is sufficient for me, because whenever I chant, I immediately merge in an ocean of transcendental bliss. So Prabhupada Maharaj is saying, I'm, I'm already experiencing an ocean of spiritual happiness just by chanting. So therefore, I don't need anything else. I only lament to see others bereft of your love. They are rotting in material activities for transient material pleasure and spoiling their lives, toiling all day and night simply for sense gratification with no attachment for love of Godhead. I am simply lamenting for them and devising, devising various plans to deliver them from the clutches of Maya, Bhagavatam 7, 9.43. Srila Bhakti Sananta Sarasvati explains in his Anubhasya, quote, a person who has attracted the attention of the spiritual master by a sincere service likes to dance and chant with similarly developed Krishna conscious devotees. So here again, this is referring to the previous verse, that the way to please the guru is to chant and dance with similarly developed Krishna conscious devotees. That attracts the attention of the spiritual mass. That's what we're supposed to be doing, yes? Don't try to see God act in such a way that he will see you. Yes, we're trying to attract the attention of Guru and Krishna. The spiritual master authorizes such a devotee to deliver fallen souls in all parts of the world. Those who are not advanced prefer to chant the Hare Krishna mantra in a solitary place, unquote. 
So Bhakti Santa Saraswati is saying that the preachers are at a higher level. Such activities constitute, in the language of Srila Bhakti Santa Saraswati Thakur, a type of cheating process in the sense that they imitate the activities of exalted personalities like Haridas Thakur. So he's saying that generally people who just say, I'm not going to preach, I'm just going to chant and take care of myself, are just imitators, generally. They're not actually advanced. One should not attempt to imitate such exalted devotees. Rather, everyone should endeavor to preach the cult of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in all parts of the world and thus become successful in spiritual life. This is interesting because first it seems that preaching is the result of being successful. It's the result of being enlivened in chanting and dancing with the devotees. That by chanting and dancing with the devotees you get the acknowledgement of the guru and by that success you become enlivened to preach. And here again, it's, here it says something kind of opposite. Everyone should endeavor to preach the cult of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in all parts of the world and thus become successful in spiritual life. That preaching to others is the means for one's personal success. So it's an expression of spiritual purity and it's a means to spiritual purity. By the way, everything we do in bhakti is like that. Everything. Just like in the material relationships, ordinary relationships, uh, man brings the woman he loves flowers. So why? He does that to create love that's not yet there, and he does that to express love that's already there. Both. It expresses an existing relationship and it builds a relationship. So everything we're doing is like that. When we offer flowers to the Lord, we offer incense, we chant the Lord's holy name. It expresses what's already there and it, it, it increases our, our relationship as well. So both an expression and a creation of it. One who is not very expert in preaching may chant in a secluded place, avoiding bad association. Now this is interesting. So first Prabhupada is saying that if you go to chant in a secluded place, you're probably a cheater, and that you become advanced by preaching. But then he says, you know, if you think you're, you're not advanced enough to preach, okay, go chant in a secluded place. But for one who is actually advanced, preaching and meeting people who are not engaged in devotional service are not disadvantages. So here Prabhupada is speaking to the fear that somebody will have, well, if I go and preach, I'll become contaminated. And he says, okay, if you think like that, you can chant alone. But if you're actually strong in Krishna consciousness, we won't get disadvantaged. He says, a devotee gives the non-devotees his association, but is not affected by their misbehavior. So this is an important guide, of course, for preaching, as Prabhupada would say. You catch the big fish, but you don't get wet. So our preaching should be, our preaching should be such that others are benefited by our association and we're not degraded by their association. If we're degraded by their association, or something, we're doing something wrong. Either our basic activities are off, like here it's saying, first chant and dance in the association of devotees and then go preach. So either we don't have our own strength. Right? The other day I gave a multimedia presentation on my laptop um, before that, I met one devotee, Soho, who was showing me some things he's creating for our books. On the, he's creating it on a tablet. 
turning our books from printed books to a tablet. And he said, do you have a computer here? I said, yeah. And he said, oh, can I use it to charge my tablet? I didn't, it doesn't have enough battery. And I said, well, I, I don't think I should do that because I'm going to give a presentation. And when I give a presentation, I said, I didn't bring my cord. When I give a presentation, I two batteries in my computer. I said, it fully drains one battery and partially drains the other. So I have to make sure I have enough battery life in my computer. So when we're going to preach Krishna consciousness, we have to have enough battery life in our computer. And you can't use your computer battery right, to charge others. Can't be, you can't have others draining your life. You've got, you've got to be strong in and of yourself. If you're weak, then others will be able to drain your energy. Thus, by the activities of a pure devotee, even those who are bereft of love of Godhead get a chance to become devotees of the Lord one day. So that's also nice. So all preaching doesn't have to be immediate, total results. We can be giving people a chance to become devotees one day. We can be sowing seeds and starting people in their Krishna consciousness. In this connection, Jilabhakti Zinanta Saraswati Thakur advises that when discussed the verse in Srimad Bhagavatam beginning Naitat Samacharya Jatu Manas Sapi Hi Anishvara 10.33.30 That particular verse is in relationship to the Raslila where Maharaj Burkitt asks how Krishna can be dancing with the wives of others. And Sukadeva Goswami says you cannot imitate the activities of the great controllers. So he's giving us first this admonishment. Be careful that in your preaching you keep, that you keep yourself safe. That you have your own strength and keep yourself safe. So that's admonishment here. And the following verse in Bhakti Vasamrita Sindhu 12255, which seems to be saying quite something different. Ana shakta sevishayan yattartam upayunjita nirbandha krishna sambande divairagya mujite. What does that verse mean? Very famous verse. Ana shakta sevishayan yattartam upayunjita nirbandha krishna sambande yuktivairagya mujite. Generally we call this last line. Nirbandha krishna sambande. It's a very often quoted verse, and it's sort of one of the founding pillars of our international society for Krishna consciousness. I'm not very good with verses, but I think that one means that you should utilize everything in the service of the Lord, and that's really nice. Yes, thank you very much. Yes, one should utilize everything in the service of the Lord, and that is real renunciation. And Prabhupada puts these together and says, one should not imitate the activities of great personalities, one should be detached from material enjoyment, and should accept everything in connection with Krishna's service. So both things. Use everything in Krishna's service, preach widely, but don't imitate someone who's above you. There's a limit. Know your limit as to what you can do and be safe. My dear child, continue dancing, chanting, and performing Sankirtan in association with devotees. Furthermore, go out and preach the value of chanting Krishna Nama. For by this process, you will be able to deliver all fallen souls. So this, of course, is the instruction to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu by his guru. 
And this instruction gives us the key as to what is the Vrindavan atmosphere. What is the essence of the Vrindavan mood? What is the essence of Vrindavan? Because Mahaprabhu is Krishna in the mood of Radharani. Why is he coming? What are his purposes? Yeah? Sure, let's go internal. It's to see what it is that Shimadhi Radharani sees in him. Mm, what Radharani sees in him, yes? To experience the happiness she feels when she experiences his love. How, what happiness she feels, yes, when she experiences his love. And taste the sweetness. What is this taste? So Mahaprabhu is Krishna wanting to understand... What is the sweetness and happiness of Srimati Radharani? What is the sweetness and happiness of the Vrindavan mood from the position of the ashraya instead of the vishaya, from the point of view of the devotee? And what happens when he wants to experience this essence? He does what? He distributes it, he preaches. And he preaches not just to other advanced, already advanced devotees, but he preaches to Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, who's a Mayavadi or Brahmavadi Gyani. He preaches to the Mayavadis in Varnasi. In fact, this chapter is Mahaprabhu doing precisely that. He's preaching to the ordinary sense gratifiers. He's giving Krishna consciousness to everyone. So we have as our goal, our prayojana in our Hare Krishna movement to enter into Vrindavan. Yes? 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 At least theoretically, is that what everybody wants to do? That's why we're all here? That's why we've sacrificed. I assume everyone here has made some sort of sacrifice to be here? Yes? Did you leave your families? Maybe you moved to another country. You put on clothes that were rather strange for the UK. At least most of us here are wearing rather odd clothes for the UK. Put some mark on her head that's a little strange in London. And we go out publicly singing and dancing. Those are little, that's a sacrifice, isn't it? Yes? Waking up early every morning and spending hours chanting and only eating food that's offered to Krishna and something. This is all sad. What are we doing it for? What's our purpose? We want to enter into Vrindavan. So it would be helpful to know what is the essence of Vrindavan. Hmm? What, what, is, what is it that makes Vrindavan Vrindavan? What's the difference? You know, a lot of the Hindus, they think Vaikuntha and heaven are the same. Or just like in so many religions, they're planning on going to heaven. When I was uh, very new in the Hare Krishna movement, I mean, I'm still very new, but when I was very, very, very new, so I was out on book distribution, I mean, seriously, like maybe three days living in the ashram. And I remember meeting these people at the airport. I said, so what's your goal? They were preaching to me, you know, they were coming to me. You can imagine what they were preaching to me. You have to surrender to Jesus and like that. And I said, so what's your goal? And they, they were, our goal is heaven. 
And I said, oh, that's nice. What will you do there? We'll do the same thing we're doing now. I said, oh, really? Will you watch TV and go to McDonald's? And then they kind of got a stunned look on their face and walked away. But generally, people think about, which, by the way, that interchange really gave me faith in Krishna consciousness. But most people's idea of heaven is simply more sense gratification. Yes? In fact, Swarga is like that. Swarga is a nice place. In fact, in fact, you know, in Swarga, nobody sweats. You know that? There's no perspiration. So they don't have any sports stores that advertise quick, dry clothing. You know that, right? They sell clothing for athletes where it wicks away your perspiration very quickly. You're not drowning in your perspiration. It's a whole industry. Did you know? There's a whole industry for athletes to make clothing where you're drowning in your perspiration when you're working out. But they don't have stores like that in the heavenly planets because nobody sweats and nobody's clothes get dirty. They don't have any washing powder companies, washing machine companies, clothes lines. Because their clothes don't get dirty. This was exhibited when Damayanti was, she had fallen in love with King uh, Nala. But still she had a swine bar. I don't know why. Why did she just marry the man she loved? Anyway, she had a swine bar. And the, she was so qualified that the demigods also wanted to marry her. But they knew that she was in love with Nala. The whole thing is so silly. If you know the woman's in love with another man, why do you want to marry her? By trickery. Conditioned souls are so silly. Anyway, so these demigods, they disguised themselves as Nala. And they came to the swine bar. And when she came to her swine bar, there were four Nalas in front of her. One was Indra, one was Varuna, I forget who the other one was. And she's like, how am I going to figure out who's the man I really love? And she saw who's sweating. So the demigods, they don't sweat, their clothes don't get dirty, their feet don't touch the ground. You know that, yes? Demigods, their feet don't touch the ground. But when we read about Vrindavan, Krishna's feet are touching the ground. We read about Krishna's leaving his footprints everywhere. And we read, Krishna is sweating. Yes? He's coming back in the afternoon from tending the cows. And he's covered with drops of perspiration that look like actually little pearl decorations. And he's dusty also. He's all covered with the dust from the hooves of the cows. And Mother Yasoda, when she's churning butter, she's also perspiring. And the gopis are dancing in Rasalila, they're also perspiring. Of course, Krishna takes his hand or his cloth to wipe off the perspiration, but when he touches them, they perspire more. So it's not very effective. So what makes Vrindavan billions of times higher than Swarga? Gopakumar explains, you know, Swarga is a thousand times more than the earth, and then the planets of the Prajapatis, a thousand times more happiness than Swarga, and the planets of the Rishis, a thousand times more than the Prajapatis, and the planet of Lord Brahma, a thousand times more than the Rishis, and each covering of the universe, a thousand times more, you know, the first covering of earth, a thousand times more happiness than Brahmaloka, and then water, a thousand times more happiness than earth, and finally you get to the final covering 
which is billions of times more happiness than we have here on this lowest of the middle planets. But what is it that gives Vrindavan that incredible happiness? What is the essence of that happiness? What is it? If there's perspiring dust, that would seem lower. But what is the essence of their happiness that's higher and higher and higher? So here we get some idea. When Prabhupada saw how nicely Jamuna was cooking, he told her, you must teach others. He said, if you don't teach others, you'll become envious. So I pondered that. One of my favorite quotes is in the book Bhaktiloka. But you know, Thakur Bhaktiloka is giving a commentary on the Upadeshami to the Nectar Instructions, text two and three, which is what to do and what not to do. And his section on Niyamagraha, I feel, is one of the most wonderful. One of the most wonderful sections anywhere in any of the writings of our Acharyas. And he talks about how there's different rules for people at different levels. And he says in the top level, those who are in Goloka Vrindavan, there's one to-do rule and one not-to-do rule. The to-do rule is love, is prema, and the not-to-do rule is don't envy. That's all. If you have love and you don't have envy, then you can do whatever you like. So what is the essence of this love and not envy? What is this essence of the Vrindavan mood? How is it exhibited? Let's look at the opposite. So materially, how does one enjoy? Materially, one feels there's limited resources. There's a finite amount of resources. Years ago, the farm in, our farm in Hungary put on an ecological conference, and they invited some non-devotees to speak also. So there was this pr- professor who was speaking in Hungarian, was being translated. And he was saying, the earth has limited resources. He was really down on Americans. I wonder if I was the only American in the audience, but he was really criticizing Americans and saying how the Americans... We're only 5% of the world's population and using like 50% of the world's resources. And, you know, was, I was kind of slinking into my seat. But he was saying there's a limited amount of resources. Therefore, he said, we shouldn't have children. Why? Because then there will be, will be more for us. It's actually what he said. He didn't even say it like elegantly or indirectly or euphemistically. He just have not said it. He said there's hardly any resources. If we want to have as much resources as possible, just like those Americans, that's what he said. He said, then don't have children because then there'll be too many people and we'll have to share. So this is the materialistic mentality. Practically speaking, every child doesn't want to share. Children have to be trained to share. And they resist it. It takes years to train children to share. They don't like it. 
They always want to get the bigger half of the cookie. You remember that when you were children? Of course, none of us were like that as children. (laughs) And adult society is also like that. You know, if you get a really nice car, do you want your neighbor to have as nice of a car or a little bit less? You know, our general tendency is, yeah, we want other people to have nice things, but not quite as nice as me. We want other people to be smart, but not quite as smart as me. We want other people to be good-looking, but not quite as good-looking as me. We want other people to have money, but not quite as much as me, and so forth. And we're in competition for what we see as limited resources, and we're always in anxiety. How will I get enough from me? How will I get enough from me? Why do we share? Why do we share at all? Because we've been trained by our parents and our teachers and our society that because there are limited resources, if everybody were just to steal and to hoard, then you probably wouldn't get enough either because everybody would steal from you and hoard from you. So if you want to get enough for you, you have to do some cooperation. But the motive for cooperation, the motive for sharing, is to get more for ourselves. I generally repeat, generally, 99.9% of the time, when people want to marry, and a lot of people talk to me about finding a husband, finding a wife, they think about what the spouse will give them. 99.9% of the time. I mean, it is so unusual for anyone to say, I'd like a husband that I could do this kind of service for and that kind of service for. This. I don't hear that. Or I'd like a wife that I can help in this way and that way and the other way. It's, I want a wife who can do this for me, that for me, and this for me, and I want a husband who can do this for me, and that for me, and this for me. I mean, even when devotees talk about where they want to live, they almost always think about what will the place do for me. And my desires is very unusual for someone to say, I want to go to that place because I'm really inspired about the programs there and I want to help them. That's unusual. So our general mentality is, I cooperate and I share because I'm thinking that that's a better way to get my needs met. It's going to be more efficient, more productive, than if I just take. You know, if I just if I get a reputation as a taker, nobody will want to give me anything, huh? There's some people like that. You know? Have you ever met people that have a reputation as being a taker? And then you don't want to deal with them. So if I get a reputation as a taker, nobody wants to deal with me. But if I get a reputation as a sharer, then people will be willing to give me and then I can take. So that's the materialistic mentality. So the Vrindavan mood is exactly the opposite. So the material mood is I'm enjoying at others' expense. And in fact, Jiva said, Jiva, Jiva, no. That is, the whole material world is designed like that. I can only live at the cost of the lives of others, at the cost of the lives of others. Try living without killing anything. Can you do it? Can you live without killing anything? Impossible. Can't walk, can't breathe. I mean, you can get one of those little masks, you know, but you're still killing something. And try to eat without ever killing anything. You know, how are you going to do that? I'll just eat apples or something. Oh, but then you've deprived the seeds of the apples from the apple fruit they were going to use to nourish themselves as they were growing. I mean, you know, 
somehow or other. The big fish eating the little fish. But the Vrindavan, the essence of Vrindavan is the opposite. The essence of Vrindavan is explained very nicely also in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Here, of course, it's explained, but sort of indirectly. But it's explained directly in Majulila chapter 8. What is Majulila chapter 8 about? Yes, Mahaprabhu talking to Ramananda Roy, Ramananda Roy talking to Mahaprabhu actually primarily. So Mahaprabhu is going higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. higher. What is the goal of life? What is no? No, that's external. That's external. Varnashram, that's external. Varnashram Arvati Krishna, that's external. Sarvadharma Prajaja, that's external. Gyanvijabhati, that's external. Oh, pure Premabhati. Oh, that's okay. Now go on. And finally he comes to Sakya Vatsalya Madhuri. Oh, very good. And then go on, tell me more, tell me more. Ramananda Roy starts describing Vrindavan. And in 2.11 to 2.13, he describes what is this essence of the Vrindavan mood. So those experiencing the top ecstasy in Vrindavan, which is the top of the top of the top of the top of the top, and who's the top in Vrindavan? They are the, the gopis. So how do the gopis find happiness? Hmm? Pleasing Krishna. How do they try to please Krishna? Hmm? Yes, yes. The gopis are thinking... Oh, they're feeling. When Radharani is enjoying with Krishna, they feel, Ramananda Roy says, 100 times more happiness than when they're with Krishna themselves. So opposite to the material. Material, my happiness is at others' expense. Spiritual, my happiness is at my expense. I feel a hundred times more happiness when others are with Krishna and I'm not. Can you imagine any Olympic champion? You know, they're running in the Olympics. I'm so happy that you got the first place and I didn't. Could you imagine that? Would anyone understand that? Any of the second place, you know, it's really funny. In the Olympics, the second place winners are crying. Why didn't I get first? But the gopis, they're saying, you go be with Krishna. hundred times more happiness. When they see that Radharani is with Krishna. And then the next verse, Ramananda Roy says, and what of Radharani? Does she just say, oh yes, now I'm with Krishna. All those other gopis, they want to be with Krishna. Now I'm with Krishna, I'm happy. No. How does Radharani feel? What is she doing? She's trying to force the other gopis to be with Krishna. And how much happier does Ramananda Roy say that Radharani feels when the other gopis are with Krishna? Ten million times, he says. So the gopis, he says, feel a hundred times happier when Krishna's with Radharani, and Radharani feels ten million times happier when Krishna's with the other gopis. That's the essence of Vrindavan. That is what makes Vrindavan billions and billions of times happier than the most heavenly material situation. 
the beautiful palm trees and coconuts and breezes and peacocks and parrots and avocados and etc. etc. And no sweating and no dirt. Billions of times. The difference is one is I want my happiness at your expense and the Vrindavan happiness is my happiness is at my expense. Your happiness is my happiness. My giving to your happiness is my happiness. Material is my taking from your happiness is my happiness. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But if you look in your heart, that's what you'll see. I mean, if you really look. And if, 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 you know, of course I'm not talking to anybody here, but the materialistic When I first came to the Krishna Consciousness Movement, I remember the devotees talking about materialists. And I think, yeah, those materialists. And then after a while I realized, whoops, I'm the materialist. But anyway. So a materialist is thinking, is feeling, not thinking, feeling, desiring. My happiness is to take from your happiness. And the Vrindavan mood is my happiness is to give to your happiness. The natural position of the jiva is vicarious enjoyment, not direct enjoyment. And we have this example all the time, this analogy given, that how does the hand become happy by putting food in the stomach? It's indirect, it's not direct. The hand doesn't become happy. So soon we're going to have prasadam. And if you take the prasadam, it just... I saw a billboard somewhere that a rich man has more fruit in his shampoo than a poor man has fruit on his plate. You know, but you're not going to get, if you just put fruit in your shampoo and you just put fruit on your hair and you never eat any fruit, you're not going to have nice hair, huh? not going to work. You have to eat fruit. So the happiness of the hand, of the hair, it comes indirectly, it comes vicariously. You have to give the stomach happiness, and then automatically you become happy. You're the, the tree. You water the root. What does this mean? It means that by nature we are vicarious enjoyers. We enjoy through others' enjoyment. Now, materially, that sounds terrible. Everything in us rebels against this concept. I enjoy through others' happiness. What's the first thing we think of when we hear that? What about me? Are natural, like, ah, I'll get nothing. Because if you try to imitate this, Prophet says, you don't imitate. If you try to imitate this, it's a failure. You cannot stay in materialistic consciousness and imitate the behavior of those in Vrindavan. You'll fall right on your face. If you stay in materialistic consciousness, that what about me, what about me, what about me, and you try to give, 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 you'll become very angry. It just won't work. This is not something to do artificially. And how is it done? Now, by the way, the next, the last, we talked about Maja 8, 2, 11, and 2, 12, but I didn't talk about Maja 8, 2, 13. So when Krishna sees this behavior, that the gopis are pushing Radharani and Radharani is pushing the gopis and they're each feeling a hundred or ten million times happier by doing that. Krishna feels very pleased. 
that too. I mean, any of you who have children, and if you have more than one child, you're happy when your children get along nicely. And you're happy when your children work for each other's happiness. That's even in the Bible. How wonderful it is when brothers sit together in peace. Or of course, in the Bhagavatam, we have the story of the Prachetas. That when Lord Vishnu saw the ten brothers getting along together and cooperating together, he was very happy. This is why, you know, we have that statement Prabhupada made to the leaders of the movement. Your love for me will be shown by how well we cooperate to keep this movement going. So Krishna is very happy. That's what's attracting Krishna to the gopis. The gopis' beauty is a manifestation of their love. Just like our body is a manifestation of our material desires, as explained in chapter 13 in the Bhagavad Gita. We get a particular group of senses, senses grouped around the mind. If you want to know what material desires really look like, look at a gross body, that's what they look like. That's the, the gross form of material desires. They look like hair and skin and blood and etc. That's what they look like. And spiritual desires look like a spiritual body. So when we say that Krishna is attracted by the beauty of the gopis, I mean, he's the source of all beauty. What The beauty of the gopis is simply the manifestation of their love. And love means they're caring about the other. Love means they're finding their happiness through the happiness of the other. And Krishna's also like that. Krishna's finding his happiness by the happiness of the devotees. In fact, Krishna so much wants to taste this mood of the devotee that he becomes Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Where he's and he's preaching. It's not that we say Krishna's the enjoyer. Book to Ramitapasam, that he's just that he's the big taker. No, because when I try to be the enjoyer, I come here and try to be a taker. And I might think Krishna's just a big taker. Krishna's a big giver. He also gets happiness at seeing the devotees. He's competing with the devotees. Prabhupada tells the story of Rupa Goswami sitting in Vrindavan thinking, I'd like to invite my brother over for prasadam and cook him a nice meal. Prabhupada said, the devotees are very expert. They're good cooks. Rupa and time are very good cooks. It's one of the qualities of a devotee, Prabhupada says, he's expert. So as he's thinking like that, this beautiful girl comes and says, oh, there was a function in our house and there's all this leftover food. Would you like some? And all this leftover boga that we didn't use. Oh, she looks, wow. I wanted to cook for Sanatana, and here it is. So he cooks this whole feast. He asks this girl, who are you? I don't remember seeing you. She said, oh, I was in the village. And then he invites Sanatana. Sanatana says, where did you get all this incredible book up? So opulent, so much, such variety. And he said, oh, it's one village girl. And, and, and she said it was a function. And she had all this extra ingredients. Which village girl? And, and Rupa Goswami starts describing this girl, and he starts describing how beautiful she is. And Sanatana Goswami says, I've never seen any girl that beautiful in the village. And Rupa says, I, I don't either. I've never seen it before. And Sanatana Goswami looks at him and says, I don't think that was one of the village girls. That was Radharani. He said, you've taken service from Radharani. He said, you've murdered me. 
how dare you take service from fishermen? And you're crying. So Prabhupada says that Krishna is competing with the devotees, and devotees are thinking, how can I please Krishna? And Krishna's thinking, how can I please the devotees? So this is the essence of preaching. Somehow or other, you give by any means, but without getting contaminated ourselves. Using any means, using whatever we can in Krishna's service without contaminating ourselves. In this mood. And what's interesting is that by preaching, one becomes recognized by Krishna, just like Krishna enjoys this dealings between the gopis. Yes, this is what I like. And by the guru, what's emphasized here, because this is the instructions of guru, is that the guru is becoming pleased when he sees this preaching of the disciples. So if we want to get recognized by Guru and Krishna, if we want them to invite us in, that's the whole, that's what it's all about, my dear friends. This is not a mechanical process. Mechanical processes are you're locked in prison and you find some way to manufacture a key and open the door. You find a way to dig out through the, you know, dig a hole in the wall. That's karma yoga, gyan yoga, gyan yoga. By my own strength, by my own ability. But bhakti yoga is, you act in such a way that Guru and Krishna open the door and say, come in. So what's going to happen? Open the door is by seeing in us the Vrindavan mood. Why will they invite us to Vrindavan? Duh. You know, if you're having a party, you want to invite people that are in the same mood as your party, yes? We don't want to invite a, we call in America, party pooper. You call them that here? You use that expression? Or we also call them a wet blanket. Gate crasher. Yeah, okay. So you're having a, a program, you're having a festival. You don't want to invite somebody who has a completely different mood. So if we want to go to Vrindavan, what is the essence of Vrindavan? The essence of Vrindavan is love by giving. Love by giving. So how do we get this love by giving? That's so many more times happier than anything heavenly that you can't imagine. That's happier than direct contact with Krishna. I mean, we may be thinking, I'd like to see Krishna. I hope we think like that. I'd like to see Krishna like they just unveiled this George Harrison garden. You know, I really want to see you. It's just uh, reading this in Krishna book where Kura is meditating. I really want to see Krishna. Prabhupada's talking about this is the perfection to see Krishna, to have him put his hand on you like Prahlad Maharaj reading here. How the Singhade put his hand on the head of Prahlad. Immediately Prahlad's free from all contamination and ecstasy. To see the Lord's lotus feet, touch his hand, and smell him, etc. Ten million times happier than that. Ten million times happier than that. More than that. So how do we get that? Well, interestingly, we get it through preaching. 
start off being selfish, taker, materialistic demons. By preaching, we attract the attention of Guru and Krishna. If we just accept this theoretically and say, oh, okay, I'm not sure if I really like that idea of happiness by giving, but mm, sound, it might be nice. I'll give it a try. I'll give it a go, or as you guys say. And we, you say that someone in America, they look at you and say, I'll give it a go, and they're like, what? So I'll give it a go. Let me try it. Let me preach through my happiness, through my lifestyle, through, through the books, through prasada, through paintings and, and pictures, through the holy name, through direct instruction, through Padeshi. And then Guru says yes, and Krishna says yes. And when they're pleased, the heart becomes cleaned and we gradually see who we are. Chaitanya Dharma Marjana, we see who we are. We start to see Jivara Sarabhaya Krishna Nityadasha. I, I am actually a giver. I, I am of this essence of Vrindavan. One starts to see that and starts to start relishing in a different way. And then as one starts relishing in that different way, when one starts actually relishing the happiness of others, Prabhupada would say, I want to see my disciples becoming more advanced than me. When one starts meditating like that, I want to see, I take joy in seeing others being more Krishna conscious than I am. Then One's desire to preach is no longer theoretical. It's no longer that, well, okay, I'm supposed to do it, so I'll do it. Then one's desire to preach becomes that you, you can't contain what you have. You just, it's like the, the day I left Venice, the town president and his wife invited me to their home for Prasadam as I was we were driving to the airport. We stopped at their home for Prasadam. And of course, it's Italy, so they made pizza, of course. And they made little pizzas. Like this big. About a foot in diameter. How many pizzas did they make? They must have made at least 15 or 20 pizzas. It was just four of us. So you have so many pizzas, you can't eat all of them. I said, you're going to have to do the traditional householder thing and go out on the road. Anyone who's hungry, you know. And plus they had stuffed zucchinis and cake and salad and so many things. It wasn't even just pizza. So when you, by preaching, when you start to get the favor of Guru and Krishna and you cleanse the heart and you start seeing your real nature, then you start having happiness that's so many thousands and millions of times more than taking happiness. And you start experiencing susukam. You start you start experiencing susukam. Please, we have to do this. If you just stay theoretically licking the outside of the jar of honey and talking about the honey and looking at the honey in the jar, after a while you'll go look for honey someplace else. 
So when, by preaching, one experiences this. And when one experiences this, one realizes one has a lot more pizza than one can eat. You realize Krishna's invited me to a party and he made too much pizza. You know, they were begging us, please eat, eat. I said, I can't eat anymore. One time when I was, I was leaving India going somewhere, I can't remember, actually, the Italy. Here, but he's not here. So I was staying at the home of an Indian family, and as always, when you stay at the home of Indian families, they give you too much to eat. It's like their regular principle, you know. So I'm preparing to go, and they're preparing for Sodom for my journey, and they prepared a bag like this big, big shopping bag. I said I cannot possibly eat this, and I couldn't give it back. Generally, you can go through it and give back parts of it to people although they don't like that, but usually they'll tolerate it, but this family would not tolerate it. They said, you are taking the bag. Like, what am I going to do with this bag? I had a long, long, long journey, and I thought, you know, it's going to rot, and what am I going to do? There's no creatures in the airport. I can, can't, like, put it out on the ground in the compost pile of the airport, and you have to throw it away, and it's offensive for Sodom, and I just didn't know what to do. And then I ran into a devotee at one of my stopovers, so I said, he's visiting this temple now. He's not here in Bedouin. And I ran into him in a stopover. And he says, oh, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Guru. He says, do you have any persona? I was like, yes. Thank you, Krishna. He said, now I know why you gave me so much persona. So as you're preaching and you start experiencing the happiness of giving, the happiness of vicarious enjoyment. You've got so much prasadam in your bag, you cannot eat all of it. Mahaprabhu talked about this, in fact, in Varnasi. He said, I brought all this love of God here, and it's this heavy burden, and I don't want to carry it back with me. But nobody here is willing to pay the price. You know that, right? He said that. So nobody here is willing to, to pay for it. So we'll just give it away. So gradually the devotee's preaching becomes, which was discussed in this verse, the outpouring of their own happiness. Now, of course, as the devotee starts feeling their own uncontained, uncontainable, overflowing, cup runneth over happiness, and they start preaching from that platform, well, guess who gets really pleased? Christian Guru. They get even more pleased. And then you get even more inner realization, and you realize your nature even more. And then you get more peace in your bag. And then you want to preach even more, and, and on and on and on it goes until one is experiencing this essence of Vrindavan, even while apparently walking around in one of these blood, muscle, skin, hair contraptions. That one is then experiencing being in Vrindavan even here. And practically, there's no difference then, here or there. there there's no here, there. And then, 
And we're fully invited, the door is fully opened. Yes, you are, in fact, there isn't even practically speaking a door. One is just already there. So this is the essence of Rindavan, that we find our own happiness by giving happiness to others. Vicarious enjoyment, happy, enjoying through the enjoyment of others. Enjoying through the enjoyment of Krishna with his devotees and devotees with Krishna and wanting to bring as many devotees to Krishna as possible. This essence of Vrindavan is decidedly repulsive to a materialistic person. A materialistic person feels revulsion and fear and, and terror at the concept of vicarious happiness, at the concept of being happy by giving to others, because artificially it cannot be done. It cannot be done in materialistic consciousness. It will not work. Therefore, their experience of playing with this thing is very bitter for them. But if one does this in Krishna consciousness, then one finds that indeed it's wonderful, and then happiness by taking becomes revulsive and fearful. That one, one just thinks, oh, why would I want to be a taker? And one looks at it and it becomes disgusting. So my dear child, continue dancing, chanting, and performing sankirtan in association with devotees. Furthermore, go out and preach the value of chanting Krishnanama, for by this process you'll be able to deliver all fallen souls. Questions, comments, additions, subtractions, corrections, chastisements, etc. It's alright, but Sunday we go a little longer, right? Yes? That's the program on Sunday? I didn't violate any. Yes? Yes. But if we do that artificially, it can backfire on us. Yes. And we might sometimes feel um, kind of resentful that we're giving, we're not giving. Yes, exactly. If we're in Krishna consciousness and we share our Krishna consciousness, it will increase our Krishna consciousness. But if we do it artificially, then we'll feel resentful. Yes. So my question is, how can we make sure we do it just right? Mm, how can we make sure we do it just right? Good question. Charity in the, let's look at charity in the modes. So charity in the mode of ignorance, you give it to the wrong person, or you give it at the wrong time, or the wrong place, or you give it with disrespect. Here's your charity. Okay. And the mode of passion is very interesting. You give it to the right person, and you give it in the right place, you give it at the right time, but you're doing it for prestige, or you're doing it under obligation, with resentment afterwards. You probably said at the request of a superior. So someone says to you, you should give. And so you give, and later you're thinking, the prophet says in that report, why did I give so much? So we've seen this even in our Christian movement, that people come and they dedicate 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and they're giving, 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 and one day they walk out the door and say, why did I do that? Why did I take my youthful life and, and spend it giving? Now what do I have? I wish I didn't give so much. So one asks, how do we do it in the proper way? 
Well, first of all, we act according to our level of realization. We don't try to act above our level of realization. This is, again, explained very nicely in Bhakti Loka, the Niyamagraha section, that there's different rules for different levels. That if you're attached to the rule of the previous level, those rules act as chains around your feet. Prabhupada quotes that often. So don't stay at a lower level than you're capable of being at, and don't artificially be on a higher level. So one has our own batteries have to be charged. You know, I, I can't give my juice to somebody's iPad and then I don't have enough batteries for my own service. Like that's really yes we do. My own batteries have to be charged. You have to be aware. And if we're on a lower level, then we have to also be really concerned about that. Now ultimately, our batteries are charged constantly and fully by connection with Krishna in the heart. until we're fully aware of that, then we also have to be very careful. Robert is admonishing that here in his purport. <coughs> Don't imitate somebody higher. And you can, I think, to be aware of some honesty is required here. Actually, I talk a lot about honesty. Some honesty is required that you have to know who you are and where, you are, where you're at, and if you can't do that, ask somebody who can be honest with you that, won't, that you won't feel offended by. We're supposed to have that relationship with our guru. The reality is probably most people do not have that kind of relationship with the guru. Uh, the guru may not even know you very well. And if your guru does know you well and is honest with you, you probably won't take it. That's what I've seen in practical experience. But we should have at least one person who can say to us, this is where you're at. And we say, yes, and we take it and we hear it. So then we can know how to adjust accordingly. Prabhupada told Rameshwar, the, the, uh, the greatest something, something is, greatest something, is to save others, and greater than that is to save yourself. You've got to make sure you're saving yourself. You have to be honest enough and, and have at least one person that you trust who can help you and make sure that you're saving yourself. If you exhaust yourself on Monday and you can't do anything until, you know, the next Monday, or if you give in such a way that you become bitter and resentful, so you have to give what you can give from the heart now. How can I, to what extent can I genuinely preach and help others and take my pleasure from helping others in Christian consciousness now? Maybe I can only do that genuinely to a small extent now. Okay. Something small that's genuine is worth more than something huge that's funny. Duh. I mean, what would you rather have? One genuine 10 pound note or a billion false? 50 pounds. I mean, come on. That should be a dog. So Krishna is much more interested in something small that's genuine than something large that's false. But we should at least try. Even if in the beginning we say, oh, I don't really have any genuine care about others, we should do a little. Even if all you've got is some theoretical something. Even if you hear these things from Ramananda Roy and go, wow. That sounds interesting. Let me try a little bit. 
And as you try a little bit, you get experience, which will then make you more genuine. But do, please don't, please just do as genuine, please. Please don't do things that are funny. Rabbi Nathasos Swami says that deceit ruins everything. You know, this is the age of hypocrisy. Please don't be a hypocrite. Krishna knows anyway, and you don't fool him. And, you know, and all we end up doing is falling in the face and making everything slower in the long run. So you have to, you have to do a shame. The Prabhupada says, gradually and proportionately. As we increase spiritually, we gradually and proportionally decrease materially. Or as we decrease materially, gradually and proportionally increase spiritually. So, and, and Vishnu Chakravarti describes this in Madhuri Kanambani. How you gradually, as you progress through bhakti, you give up your self-consciousness and your self-absorption and you increase your Krishna consciousness and your Krishna absorption. And in the beginning, all you have is a trace. Okay, you have a trace. Use that. Get a little, little, one little tiny, tiny spark of non-envious actual love. Use that. And then that will grow. And you'll see the difference. Robert talks about this all the time. So there's a spark. Fan it, fan it, fan it, fan it. Take, take whatever, whatever you can do that's genuine. If you feel, you know, oh, I can really, this is all I can give that's genuine. Then give that. Don't burn yourself. Please don't burn yourself. Please don't burn yourself. Please don't burn yourself. Please don't burn yourself. Please, 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 please. In our Hare Krishna movement, we would much rather, I hope, we would much rather, I hope that the leaders and the members would much rather have people making slow, steady progress over their whole life and reaching perfection at the end than being some big bright comet in the sky for a year and then crashing somewhere and burning a village. You know, we've had tons of those. We have. we had these big fiery comets that made this big noise and this big light and then burn villages when they crash. Please don't. Yes? Just wondering... To the Prophet and his prophets, he often quotes this aphorism that a tree is known by its fruits. Mm-hmm. And then he, he often connects that saying, um, like the great Vaishnava is known by their ability to make inspire to many, many people to take up consciousness. I'm just wondering how we understand that statement, because on one hand, we know that we're not in control of the results of what we mm-hmm. do. So is it, is, it like, is it possible that someone could be completely sincere, completely pure in their desire to preach, and just be like not very successful at all, or like a failure at, at least externally? Is that possible? Yes, definitely it's possible. Um, someday I'm going to devise, I'm going to devise a seminar on failure in Krishna consciousness. <coughs> So is it possible you're saying that Prabhupada likes to say you judge by the fruit? Just like one of Prabhupada's disciples wanted to start his own movement, and Prabhupada said, yes, you start your own movement. He said, a tree is beautiful if it has many branches. 
so to make sure the fruit tastes the same. So, you judge a tree by its fruit. Jesus said the same thing. I mean, if you really want to know what's genuine spirituality, you judge by the fruit. Now then you're connecting that to the concept that one of the ways a Vaishnava is known is how much they can bring others to Krishna consciousness. However, other people have free will, and we're not in control of the results, and therefore is it possible to be a great soul and a great Vaishnava and yet not be successful at bringing others to Krishna consciousness? Definitely. I mean, Krishna is the most Krishna conscious, and one-fourth of the living entities are here. And in fact, that fact is probably the biggest doubt of the members of the Hare Krishna movement. Well, if Krishna is really so great, why am I here? That is, I would say, the number one doubt of the members of the Hare Krishna movement. Why am I here? Why are there so many living entities here? If he's really so great, there must be something wrong with him. And on that point, also looking at Prabhupada's also so-called failures before he became successful. I mean, he describes a year lurking on lurking on the street. Yes. Well, Prabhupada, right in in India, he tried for decades and he failed. For which we are very grateful. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come here. Frankly. You know, and then there's also external failures. I mean, I have my favorite stories. Jatayu. He got killed. His goal was to prevent Rama from carrying away Sita. He got killed. I mean, he gave wrong useful information that it was Ravana who took you up. But that, his goal wasn't to gather information. His goal was to, was to kill Ravana and rescue Sita. That was his goal. He failed. What about the coward boys when Krishna said, go beg alms from the Ramanas? That was Krishna gave a direct order. He's standing right there. And they failed. Externally. Or another one of my favorite is, if I had more time, I would ask you instead of just telling me, but our time's running out. The coward men at the top of Govardhan Hill when they couldn't keep the cows, the cows were running down to the cows who were actually Krishna. Now, all of those so-called failures glorified the Leela, but of course, you're not going to be able to convince everybody to be Krishna conscious. Krishna doesn't, can't convince everybody to be Krishna conscious. How are you going to do it? No matter how great you are, you're not going to be able to convince everyone to become Krishna conscious, and Krishna can't convince everyone to become Krishna conscious. So I see that's one indication. It's not the only indication. And you have some devotees who are living as Bajananandis who aren't even trying to bring anyone else to Christian consciousness. Or you have some devotees, say like Marjorie Spear at the end of his life, and um, Lord Rishabdev and Jed Bharata, who were hiding their Christian consciousness. They were intentionally acting in such a way, or we were just reading Juva's brother Utkala, they were intentionally acting in such a way that people thought they were not only materialists, but thought they were really low-level materialists. So I see that's one indication. It's not the only indication. Also, I hate to say this, but I think it needs to be said, sometimes there are people who are apparently very successful at bringing other people to God. And let's say God. And this includes in our Hare Krishna movement, but it, it, it's trans-religion. 
So you've got, you know, Muslims, Christians, Jews, Hindus, Vaishnavas, Hare Krishnas, etc., who are, can be apparently very, very successful through, for various reasons, but they're not genuine. Is that correct? Am I correct? Are there people who are apparently very, very successful at, at bringing tens of thousands of that there are in America, I don't know if you have them here in Europe, but in, in America we have Christian preachers who can fill football stadiums for Jesus. But they're not very genuine people, as discovered gradually. You know, it turns out that they have a gambling addiction and so many illicit affairs and they're keeping all the money to retire into Tahiti or something. But meanwhile, they're apparently bringing many, many people to God. Yes? Like that? Does, does that mean that the result will be accordingly? Hmm? Does that then mean that the result will be according to their gender? I don't know. I'm simply noting the phenomena. So I'm just simply noting that if you're going to say I'm going to judge someone's advancement by how many followers they have, you're on very dangerous ground. Prabhupada calls that blind following, where he says blind following is condemned. And the example he gives of blind following is, oh, this guru already has 10,000 disciples, let me become his disciple. For that reason, that's what's Prabhupada's example of blind following. So, be careful. You know, if you're going to say, how many people you can bring to Krishna consciousness, you mean to realization. Some people only have one follower. There's other fruits. There's other fruits of Krishna consciousness. So the main fruits of Krishna consciousness are given at where are they given? Where where are the description of the fruits of Krishna consciousness that you, how you judge? Hmm? Where's the where's like a list that says here's the criteria for judging? Okay, so good in that verse. Any other places? There's so many other places. Give me a few more. End of the second chapter. When Arjuna says, how does he sit? How does he walk? What is his speech? What is his language? Where else? The divine quality. 16th chapter. Where else? Oh, the perfect, perfect human being, seventh canto. Good. Where else? Seventh canto. Good. Where else? Hmm? Yes. Good. Where else? End of the twelfth chapter. The devotee's like this. He's very dear to me. He's very dear to me. He's very dear. Fourteenth chapter. Where Arjuna says, "What's the symptoms of one whose consciousness is thus emerged and transcendent?" Uh, no, that's second chapter. It says, "What's the, the symptoms of one who's transcendent in those material nature?" 14th chapter, 26 qualities of devotee given by Mahaprabhu to Sanatana Goswami. The 50 qualities of the perfected jiva given by Guru Goswami in Yubhadeshamrita. So, and then you've got, of course, in the, um, no, that's not Yubhadeshamrita, Bhaktivedanta Sindhu, sorry. Then you've got in the Yubhadeshamrita where Rupa Goswami says, undeviating devotional service and free from the propensity to criticize others. And it's in that purport that Prabhupada notes that one can't judge, but that's one. That's one, it's not the only. You know, just look at that. Look at the others also. And the others, I'd say, are far more important. They're what's emphasized. That, that particular one isn't emphasized. 
but the others are what's emphasized. So if you want to be able to gauge your own advancement, you have all of these, which we don't have time to go over today, all of these lists, what are the fruit of, what's the fruit of the spirit? What's the fruit that shows that you're connected to the tree and you're being nourished by the tree? Yes, the one I'm sure. Yes. Oh. <laughs> um, I was just uh, just going back slightly. I was just thinking about how uh, somewhat mothership or even if you're looking for a hero or heroine, the leaders of today, when you read about their failures, it seems a lot more digestible mm. because they've made it. Mm. <clears throat> when you're reading about somebody who hasn't, you don't want to give them the time of day. Mm. Um, that's just an observation. It's um, sort of popular in the press. So, um, the, so you, we're, we're inclined to to hear the failures of people if the failure was part of a stepping stone to success. The point I wanted to actually make was what's the definition? Of, how, do you, how do you determine trying? Because my trying to please Krishna or serve the devotees may be different to yours. And often so just please the, the, the people, your authority or your own. But how to really come to that understanding where you really are trying, but it's still based on how you feel what's important, what's, what's appropriate. I'm trying to understand your question. Talk about trying. <laughs> That trying is when you were talking about uh, a couple of people here mentioned it is this sense of if we have a, a how many devotees we bring is a sort of a qualification for how much we we are trying or loving Krishna. <coughs> you said we'd be in deep water. So we've all got different motivations in this trying. So how can we come to a, a sense that we really do value everybody's trying, even if it looks very different aesthetically? Okay, so your question is, how can I appreciate the endeavors of others in trying to please Krishna? Why not just assume that they're trying to please Krishna? Why not just start with that assumption? Actually, the Uttama Bhakti assumes that about even the demons. So, there's no harm. We're afraid to do that because then we're afraid we'll be subject to naivete and be cheated. That if I assume that others have good intentions, then I'll be hoodwinked. But why not? I don't have to assume that other people manifest their good intentions in ways that are good. But I can assume that everybody's working from good intentions. I can assume that everybody's... I can assume that everyone's looking for Krishna. Again, we did our George Harrison Garden yesterday. He says that in his introduction to Krishna book. Everyone's looking for Krishna. He said some don't realize that they are that they are. The problem is that everyone is working for rasa. And rasa is only found with Krishna. What to speak of somebody who's externally come to a religious path, why not assume that they're trying to please Krishna? It doesn't mean you have to be a fool and think that everything they do is on the transcendental platform and, and trust everything they do and everything they say as if they're a great saint and, and destroy yourself. But why not? With, without sacrificing your good common sense and practical matters, why not assume that everyone's inner motive is, is, is to try to please Krishna? 
We'll get along much better if you do that. If everybody did that, if we all assumed that others' motives were to try to please Krishna, we would definitely cooperate more. Now, of course, if you're an authority over somebody, it becomes a little trickier. Because if I'm your teacher or your parent or your ashram leader, then I have, I have some responsibility to make sure that you really are not, that you're, that you're right on that line, that you're out of your comfort zone, but you're not in your panic zone, as we say in education. That you're, that you're pushing beyond your present space, but you're not going so far that you're overstepping your icon. That you're walking up the stairs, basically. And you're not staying on a stair that's too low for you, and nor are you overstepping your reach. And as if I'm your authority, I have to know how to push you up to the next step and not be satisfied with where you are and yet honor where you are. And that is not a discussion for 30 seconds. But there are, there's, there's an art to that. And I doubt if any Jiva gets it perfect, but it's an art to that. When you at, try to do your best to ascertain where somebody is, and then you push them out of that so they can go forward without pushing them so hard that they fall down the stairs. I hope that answers your question. It probably doesn't. I'm afraid I have to end it. Thank you very much. All the way to Shilpa.